You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. And a great pleasure to be coming to you on this Remembrance Day. Zach North and I were out poppy tagging uh, on behalf of Legion Branch 75 in Toronto on uh, the weekend. A great honor and pleasure uh, to do that. And I know uh, their granddad, who was a veteran of uh, World War II, uh, would be uh, looking down or is looking down and very, very proud of uh, both North and Zach, who are re- just recently joined the uh, the Navy League Sea Cadets. Uh, the uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer is standing by to discuss free energy and his new autobiography, Hope Restored, which he's just published. And our good friend Victor Vigiani will also join us in moments. Uh, later this hour, Rosemary Ellen Guiley for our monthly Paranormal News Roundup. We'll talk about the uh, infamous Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, among other things. One of the most haunted hotels uh, in Los Angeles, perhaps haunted, most haunted locations uh, in Los Angeles. Quite a remarkable uh, dark past, the Cecil Hotel. Uh, and then in hour two, psychic medium Siobhan Smith will be here. Psychic medium Siobhan Smith uh, will be here to tell us about her remarkable upbringing and uh, early life and her career, as I say, as a psychic medium. And once again, I am coming to you from my home studio up in Thornhill. Technical producer Ian Robertson is back in the Zoomerplex behind the, uh, the big audio board. Live stream producer Ryan White is in his lair in deepest, darkest East York, and uh, producer, story producer Albert Vinzel is conducting a remote viewing experiment at an ashram somewhere in the, uh, near the India-Nepal border. Uh, Hope Restored, My Life and Views on Canada, the U.S., the World, and the Universe, is Paul Hellier's autobiography just published. It is a powerful book arguing that the human species is at a tipping point where it is forced to choose between a new world order, fascist government, committed to rapid depopulation, or a world of peace and justice. Humanity's choice is between the dark and the light. To follow the light means giving up atomic weapons, replacing the oil economy with clean zero-point energy developed by Americans in the 1960s, having governments create 34% of all new money for public purposes rather than borrowing it from the 62 elite banking families, a reconciliation of the two main branches of Islam, and a just settlement 
of the Israeli-Palestinian dispute to bring peace to the Middle East. Finally, he writes, it'll be necessary for all countries, races, and faiths, especially young people, to forgive past atrocities and work together in common, common purpose to save the heritage they have in common. The Honorable Paul Hellyer, Canada's youngest member of parliament when he was first elected in 1949 and the youngest cabinet minister appointed to Prime Minister Louis St. Laurent's government eight years later. Although Mr. Hellyer is best known for the unification of the Canadian Armed Forces and for his 1968 chairmanship of the Task Force on Housing and Urban Development, he has maintained a lifelong interest in macroeconomics, which led him to form Action Canada, a populist movement dedicated to the concepts of full employment and low inflation with an emphasis on quality of life issues. And through the years as a journalist and political commentator, he has continued to fight for economic reforms and has written several books on the subject. And again, his autobiography just released, Hope Restored. Paul Hellyer, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's been a while. Delighted to have you. Let's uh, welcome also Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland Communications and the Zeland News Network. Victor's research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomenon spans almost 40 years. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling, work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism in the field of ET disclosure issues. Victor, welcome to you, my friend. Good evening, Richard. It's an honor and pleasure to be with you both. Thank you. Um, Paul, let me uh, begin by asking you, let's let's focus on on free energy. And um, did, did it ever did, could you have ever imagined while you were serving in government that one day, uh, you know, in, towards the final chapter, you would be writing a bo- you would re- be writing about the possibility of free energy? No, I probably never did. But then um, when I was in government, I wouldn't have expected to be writing about just about anything that I've been writing about for the last uh, eight or ten years. Um, I I was really not up to speed in these many areas of of great interest. And I'm afraid that a lot of uh, political people today... um, are in that same position. They just really don't know what's going on. And so, uh, as I've pointed out, this is my 15th and final book, and it's the third in the trilogy, which uh, the books were written four years apart. And the first one, Light at the End of the Tunnel, a survival plan for the human species, and uh, organized religions uh, beating each other up instead of cooperating. And then the second one, The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, uh, talks about the cabal running the United States uh, for most of the last uh, 70 years, and the money monopoly, and uh, and the monopoly on energy that uh, brings you back to the zero-point energy, which I'd never heard of, of course, when I was in uh, in politics. But it's the energy which exists everywhere in the cosmos. It's uh, free, and uh, the Americans uh, developed it in a concert with uh, one of the uh, visiting species. And the, they had it developed in the 1960s, and according to uh, one of the highly rated uh, 
people who had worked in Area 51 and Los, in, uh, near Las Vegas and uh, S4, Dr. Michael Wolf, he said they had uh, developed both zero-point energy and uh, cold fusion. But I think the one that um, has a, the most appeal is the zero-point energy because it's uh, something you can put in a small box in your car or, or your tractor or your uh, airplane or your, or your home and provide you with perpetual energy. And uh, it's, it's just amazing that the people that hold the patents on this stuff have been able to get away with it uh, for so many years and let the, the world start going up in flames, is uh, one way of putting it, instead of, uh, instead of coming in with this wonderful, wonderful solution to the oil economy and move into clean energy and uh, clean uh, air and clean other things. So it's it's really a, a subject that uh, now intrigues me greatly and is high on my list because um, what I'm suggesting, amongst other things, of course, is that um, having reached this tipping point, we have to start disarming or um, or perish, really, to put it bluntly. And we should start uh, disarming and making the money available that we save from reducing defense expenditures available to uh, use to produce uh, zero-point energy en engines. And, do you, to your, to your um, estimation, is it possible to have a free energy disclosure without a UFO ET disclosure? Are they separate, or do they have to happen simultaneously? Well, they're separate, or and but one may influence the other. This is something that's uh, hard to decipher. But certainly the Americans have had it under their control. Many people have developed uh, these uh, kinds of engines, but unfortunately, somebody, and one doesn't have to do too much guessing to know who it was, would come in and trash their their works, their their models, and uh, and uh, scare them to death, or or move them away, or do terrible things to them, just to keep the the um, <laughs> the technology secret. And it uh, it's it's worse than evil, in my opinion, because. Here we are with a, a world that's uh, it's heating at a speed which is so fast that if we let it go on like this for a few years, it's going to become virtually uninhabitable, and we could do something about it, but we're not. And in my opinion, that is, uh, that is a disgrace. In my uh, book, the latest one that you mentioned, uh, I say that the leaders of the G20 are, are t like uh, 20 uh, Neros, I call them, because you will recall that allegedly Emperor Nero was fiddling his, with his violin, playing his violin while Rome was burning, and here you have 20 leaders, none of them really coming to grips with 
one of the greatest, well, one of the greatest problems facing the, uh, the planet today. So it's, um, it's one of the serious things that we have to keep pushing, and uh, it's not all, but uh, it, it's high on the list. Of course, in uh, in recent years, you've become uh, very interested in extra the extraterrestrial presence and their their technology. Um, in September 2005, you became the first person of cabinet rank in the G8 group of countries to state unequivocally UFOs are as real as the airplanes flying overhead. And Victor Vigiani, uh, who joins us as well, was um, very instrumental in convincing you to come forward back in 2005. Um, uh, Victor, we're going to work you in here. We're going to come up on a break here, and then we'll get you to ask a, a question or two to uh, to Mr. Hellier. Let me get a very quick take on you, whether you think uh, that that disclosure on free energy has to happen simultaneously as disclosure on UFOs, or whether it can happen separately from that. And you're asking me, Richard? Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's a, it's a really good point, because... Um, I, I look at the two issues, and I'm sure Paul would agree with me, as they are, in a sense, mutually exclusive. However, um, in, in another sense, uh, they're intertwined. And um, if the difficulty arises that if we do consider uh, acknowledgement or discussion or more openness regarding the, the whole zero-point energy question, it automatically brings into the uh, into discussion uh, what kinds of propulsion systems do these ET craft uh, use, and uh, we, we can come to the to, to an agreement in in saying that whoever and wherever these things are from. They definitely do not stop off at Jupiter to fill up with SO gas uh, on their way to our planet. They are using this exotic form of energy to move from one place to another within the cosmos or even interdimensionally. And the power and, and effectiveness of this, 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 this energy source is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, many of the physicists who are involved in this uh, can say, stated that very clearly, that one cup of this stuff, once we draw it from the quantum vacuum, could boil and evaporate all of the oceans on the planet. Now, try to wrap Victor, I've got to, that. Victor, I've got to jump in here. We're going to take a, we're going to step away momentarily. We'll come back. I'll let you finish up on that thought. And then I'll uh, get you to weigh in with a few questions for the Honorable Paul Hellyer. His autobiography, Hope Restored, the third in a trilogy, his final book just released. More of our conversation right after this. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. And welcome back. The Honorable Paul Hellyer is here along with Victor Vigiani, the Executive Director of Zealand Communications, and Mr. Hellyer's autobiography just released, Hope Restored, My Life and Views on Canada, the U.S., the World, and the Universe. And, um, uh, Victor, before the break, I was asking you to weigh in on whether or not disclosure, free energy disclosure, has to happen hand-in-hand with uh, UFO ET disclosure. I, I mean, I would love to pursue that further, but time is tight, so I wanted to, to throw it over to you to ask a, a question of, uh, of Paul. Yeah, well, 
the whole the whole question of the free energy is, is extremely important. But I, what I think there are. Uh, what needs to be asked really is a whole series of, of big questions about this issue. I know Paul has given them a lot of thought. There are a lot of other issues, you know, the abduction phenomenon and government documents and, and all of that, Paul. Um, my question to you, uh, to uh, you know, so that you could sort of weigh in on it, is, you know, with the whole ET question in, in the bigger picture, what what's pointing us in the direction regarding disclosure of the ET issue uh, for humanity as a species to really understand its place in the cosmos? I think that's one of the biggest questions that we can possibly ask ourselves about this issue. How, how do you feel about that? Well, first of all, let me uh, say while I've got the chance that all three of my books are uh, available at your favorite uh, bookstore or Amazon, or if you want an autographed copy or an autograph copy to send to uh, someone for Christmas. That uh, it's available at my website, which is Paul Heller Web, all one word, PaulHellerWeb dot com. But I think the, the, the biggest the biggest issue, and I don't know if we can cover it in the time we've got available or not. That is the irony that um, <clears throat> here we are uh, talking about or celebrating in the, in a way that the hundredth anniversary of the armistice of the first world war and uh, i guess what i am really concerned about most is that um, for the last 70 years somebody's been planning another round so we've had world war one which was unspeakably awful and then world war two which was also unspeakably awful and they're both wars to end all wars and then here as we talk about what sacrifices have been made we know that there are some people related to what happened in the second world war who have been planning another round and have been working assiduously at that and have made great progress and that any time we could have them try to take over the world. They, they call it the New World Order. But actually, they want to establish a fascistic government over most or all of the, all of the world. And they, in my opinion, probably have the power to do it. And whether they will do it soon, you know, in a, in a week or a month or, or a year or two years, I don't know. But I know they've been preparing for 70 years, and they now have the space fleet, which, in my opinion, is probably capable of doing what they want to do. And they have also built a, uh, an electronic fence around the world, which allows them to do things that would be impossible otherwise. And this is uh, related to their possible uh, uh, atomic war with Russia, as a starting point before they take on the uh, the rest of the Western world. And this has all been going on without disclosure because the media have been keeping it from the public. They're controlled. They're controlled by a group that uh, um, are called the Bilderbergers, part of the cabal, which has been in charge of the United States for years and years, and which has a, an iron grip on the United States. 
and uh, and the and yet the the leaders don't know what's going on. There hasn't been a president since uh, I guess uh, Truman, who has really been totally in the loop, and uh, as far back as uh, as uh, Eisenhower. The uh, the people who were brought into uh, the United States from uh, Germany at the end of World War II under Operation Paperclip, and then later the ones that Alan Dulles brought in when he was uh, head of the CIA and his brother was uh, Secretary of State, um, they, they, they're, they're in control. They were given new, uh, new names and new CVs, and they were given positions of high authority in both the civil governments and the uh, and the armed forces, and so they they have been preparing. And just a word, another word on that: before the the uh, Second World War ended, both the uh, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations of the United States was making plans for an em- an empire greater than the one that Hitler was planning because they assumed that Hitler was ultimately going to lose. And then the, the Germans themselves, the Nazis, when the United States came into the war and Russia came into the war, and they realized that they were then outnumbered and outgunned, and would, ultimately they would lose, they decided to plan the armistice, the surrender, but not to give up because they didn't accept the defeat. And they established uh, a headquarters in uh, Antarctica uh, sometime before the um, the armistice, and they sent some of their best scientists and uh, and engineers to Antarctica, and uh, the support people necessary for them, in order to um, be the nucleus for a government in waiting. Well, then along comes this really lucky streak of being allowed to go into the United States and, in effect, take over control of the most powerful armed forces in the whole world, unlike anything we have ever seen. So there are things that have to be done, and done really fast, to to keep this from happening. And that's one of the things that I discuss in uh, in my latest book. And uh, I I list uh, seven things. Six of them essential, and the seventh one uh, a good grace to the young Americans who are so concerned about uh, guns being pointed in their direction. And this this has to happen soon because if it doesn't, if if we don't start disarming, uh, and if the the United States President and Congress do not start taking strong action to dismantle the apparatus that is there, including the CIA and the NSA and the DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and and then uh, the chemtrails and uh, so on, the, the fence. If they don't start doing that very soon, it's going to be too late. And uh, we're faced with a situation which is in many ways more dangerous than we faced in 1939 because then you could see the the stormtroopers and the tanks all lined up. But you can't see this power that exists at the present time and which can be used in, a, in such a way. 
So uh, we have about, excuse me, Mr. Hellier, we have about five minutes. I just wanted to quickly work in one quick one and then throw it back to Victor for one quick one. What is it going to take for this breakaway civilization that Richard Dolan has uh, sort of labeled uh, this group that that has uh, free energy? What is it going to take to pry that technology away from them? What is going to convince them that the rest of us should benefit from it? Well, it's, the only thing is, is total disclosure of what's been going on, and it means the Congress should uh, set up a, a, um, a joint committee um, and uh, uh, give an amnesty to the people who have been working in black ops and have been preparing for war, because a lot of them want to tell the truth and, uh, and disclose what's been going on, but the cost is too high. They lose their pension. They can be fined ten thousand dollars. They can lose all their rights of health care and so on. So the cost is too high. But there has to be an amnesty from the National Security Act, so that the honest people, and their majority, I'm sure, are still in that category, so that the honest people can tell their American friends and relatives what they've been doing and what has to be done in order for the people to take back control of their country, because that's what really has to happen. They don't know that they're not in control of their country, because it has been hidden from them. But they do not have control of their country. They haven't had for a long time. And so we've got to get a method of disclosure and certainly if there was a joint committee set up, uh, it wouldn't take long for uh, honest people to come forward and say and uh, talk about all of the things that Victor and I are concerned about it, about and uh, in, a, in a forthright way and to produce the evidence to show that uh, things are in bad shape and something that has to, has to be done immediately, basically, to end the arms race, to ground uh, the, the space command until we can find out who's going to represent uh, the world in space and do these other things that are absolutely essential. Victor, we've just got a couple minutes. I'll get you to, uh, with a final question. Yeah, very quickly, Paul. Um, if if you could wave a magic wand and somehow, um, you know, have some sort of disclosure uh, happen tomorrow and, and uh, somehow the entire planet figures out that we're not alone in the cosmos and, and that, we're, that we're being visited by off-world civilizations. What effect do you think that, that uh, denouement would have on the human species in recognizing all of the things that you've described over the past uh, 15 or 20 minutes? W- would that be sort of a sea change in how everybody sees everything going on on the planet? Well, I think there are two, two different things. One, to find out what is going on in the cosmos, and the other thing is to find out what's going on at home, and if in fact maybe the uh, the people who are planning this uh, takeover of the of the world aren't working in concert with one species, which happens to be the species which is uh, the most aggressive, and uh, whether just people knowing that most species, and there are so many of them. Uh, that most species are benign and want to uh, help us and be and to uh, accept us into the Galactic Federation, but this isn't going to happen until 
uh, people know what's going on and uh, and really take some measures to uh, to stop this uh, cabal, including uh, changing the monetary system and banking system totally, and the other things that I have uh, have mentioned, because it's it's uh, it's so far advanced that just knowledge is not going to do it. Action is really what's required in this uh, basically spiritual battle that's going on in the cosmos. Paul Hellier, thank you uh, so much for this. And um, again, if people want to order the uh, the complete trilogy, the final chapter, of course, Hope Restored, the final uh, book in the trilogy, where do they uh, where do they find these books? At their favorite bookstore or Amazon. Um, or if they want an autographed copy, uh, either for themselves or to give to a friend at Christmas time, which is uh, coming very fast, I, uh, which I haven't quite come to grips with yet, um, they can get it from my website, which is paulhellyerweb, all one word, uh, dot com. And uh, all three books are there, available uh, there, and you can take your choice or by all three, whichever you want. PaulHellierWeb.com. PaulHellierWeb.com. And uh, Hope Restored, uh, the final book in the uh, the trilogy. Correct. Paul, thank you so much for this. It's my pleasure and best wishes. Victor, thank you as always, my friend. Give us a website for Zeland. ZelandCommunications.com. ZLANcommunications.com. Thank you. Best to you both. Thank you. Good night. Good night. When we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and our Paranormal News Roundup. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, This half hour, we'll learn about how yellow fever turned New Orleans into the city of the dead and why moaning spirits are probably just in our heads, so say the debunkers, uh, the experiments that inspired Frankenstein, how fear can kill you, and the Cecil Hotel, L.A.'s most haunted Hotel. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, of course, joins us once a month for our Paranormal News Roundup. She's a best-selling author, researcher, investigator in the paranormal, metaphysical, and related fields, including hauntings, psychic skills and protection, afterlife studies and spirit communication, cryptids, alien contact, and the interdimensional aspects of our extraordinary experiences. She has more than 65 books published on a wide range of topics, including nine single volume encyclopedias and reference work works her work is translated into 17 languages rosemary is president and owner of visionary living inc the website visionaryliving.com a publishing and media production company that includes visionary living publishing and its imprints and she is executive editor 
of Fate Magazine, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Well, I'm recovering from Halloween. October was seriously busy, always a good time. Joe and I spend um, uh, Halloween up in Salem, and there's just a lot going on every year with activities and rituals and balls, and um, I give classes. Uh, so um, I'm winding down now from that. Time to put your feet up. For just a bit. Excellent. All right. Yeah, I can't. Yes, you'll take 10 minutes before you start writing your next book. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I just got a new one into production. <laughs> Oh, my. You're just incredible. Uh, let's talk about New Orleans. And uh, obviously, you know, so much history there and we, and, and no doubt probably one of the most haunted locations anywhere. Uh, but tell me about how yellow fever swept through that city time and time and time again over a, a period of about 100 years. And uh, perhaps that's why it's one of the most haunted locations in America. I go to New Orleans every year, and I've explored some of the haunted locations and visited the cemeteries and studied the history. It really is a fascinating place, and it literally is the city of the dead. It was ravaged by yellow fever from uh, the early 19th century into the early 20th century, and um, this was a, a terrible epidemic spread by mosquitoes, and um, the symptoms were horrible. What the victims went through, they had horrible deaths. Um, 1853 was one of the worst years for New Orleans, uh, and about 8,000 people died that year from yellow fever. Now, one of the interesting things about yellow fever is that uh, you had a 50-50 chance of surviving. And if you did survive, then you had kind of an immunity to it. And so uh, this created a very weird kind of um, pecking order in, in New Orleans, because if you had survived, you were called acclimated. And uh, if you were acclimated, you, uh, you couldn't spread the disease, you, you couldn't die, so you were a good employment bet. Um, you could be admitted into better social circles, um, and if you were not acclimated, then uh, you were considered to be quite disadvantaged and very vulnerable. And, of course, a lot of the immigrants fell into that category. Well, who was most affected by this? The black slaves. And uh, there was even a rumor that spread for a while that um, blacks were somehow immune to yellow fever. And this was used as a reason for uh, pushing slavery. Uh, that supposedly uh, blacks were immune to yellow fever, and so therefore they could go out and do all this uh, hard labor and, and uh, slave labor, uh, thus saving uh, the whites from having, having to do it. Uh, so uh, I found that to be a very interesting kind of class, uh, class structure that developed in New Orleans, um, and it was all a result of yellow fever. The cemeteries are so interesting there, the way they had to bury people above the ground because of the high water table. New Orleans is built practically on a swamp. And, um, and one other thing, this doesn't relate to yellow fever so much, Richard, but I just wanted to mention it because I found it fascinating uh, when I was touring around the cemeteries there once that they uh, put the bodies in these concrete houses above the ground, uh, these small tombs. And the heat uh, would literally cook 
bodies. And then in some cases, uh, there were rituals for opening up these, these tombs and then re-interring uh, the bones. But I, I just thought the whole thing was rather macabre, the way uh, the dead were treated. Absolutely. Fascinating. Now, you mentioned 8,000 people died one year. That must be, what, close to 10% of the population at the time? One in 10? Well, it was estimated that yellow fever in the epidemic years, uh, this went from about 1817 to 1905, that in the worst epidemic years, about 10% of the population would be wiped out. Wow. Fascinating. All right. When we come back, uh, let's talk about, well, here we go again, scientists claiming that the moaning sound made by spirits, probably just in our heads, I'm sure you'll have something to say about that. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our Paranormal News Roundup, when The Conspiracy Show continues. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And welcome back. And just a reminder, coming up in the next hour, psychic medium Siobhan Smith will be with us for the hour. Right now, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. It's our monthly paranormal news roundup. And once again, Rosemary, we have scientists this time uh, in Switzerland uh, attempting at the um, Ecole Polytechnique Federale in Lausanne, Lausanne, Switzerland, uh, attempting to explain away uh, ghosts and moaning spirits. Uh, tell me about this study involving uh, 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 virtual reality goggles and so forth. It's really a stretch to try and explain ghosts. And, you know, every year around Halloween time, these kinds of debunking stories uh, make the rounds. And this one, I think, just goes way over the top, although I agree that there's something to projection. Well, the, the idea behind this is that... Um, it has to do with the neurology in the brain, and that if we're out of balance neurologically, uh, we could project something into the environment that comes back to us uh, in a seemingly supernatural way, even, even the experience of deja vu. And it's been likened uh, by these researchers to the phantom limb syndrome, that ghosts could be a kind of phantom limb that we actually project uh, into the environment. And they uh, attempted to prove this with uh, virtual reality goggles. Uh, they put uh, goggles on subjects and put them in an empty room, and um, then they had uh, images uh, of themselves uh, around them that were projected into the goggles, and then their backs were uh, stroked with a pointed stick. Well, these things don't happen to people who experience ghosts. Uh, most ghost experiences are unexpected. They're um, out of the blue. People hear things, see things, um, and they don't need virtual go reality goggles to experience a ghost. So I think that's a bit of a stretch to try and demonstrate that the brain itself is solely responsible for apparitions. Uh, on the other hand, Richard, uh, over the course of my research um, many years, I have come to the conclusion that projections from consciousness do play a role in hauntings uh, because um, 
thought generates a lot of uh, energy. Emotions generate a lot of energy, and um, this energy can coalesce in things that can mirror back to us in hauntings. If someone, for example, is going through a lot of heavy, distressed emotions, that can project into the environment and, and perhaps come back in the form of a dark figure. And uh, if we go to a haunted place knowing it's haunted uh, and hoping to be um, spooked by a ghost uh, or to experience some phenomena, uh, we're going to be generating a lot of thoughts and emotions in that direction. So we, we wind up participating in the haunting phenomena our, ourselves. And how much of that comes into play in any given situation, it's really hard to say. But I don't think we can entirely remove ourselves from uh, paranormal phenomena. I love this next story. Um, it came from the uh, the Daily Mail in England, and it's it, it talks about how um, the experiments that inspired uh, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and uh, in the in the article, a history professor reveals all of these macabre medical tests that that inspired Mary Shelley, uh, things like electrocuting the dead which was first public I didn't know this first publicly attempted back in 1803 remarkable article tell me more about it it really is very macabre and uh, this year by the way is the 200th anniversary of the publication of Frankenstein and I revisited it myself this year in celebration of that uh, Mary Shelley did pay attention to these experiments on the dead, and uh, it's, it's a thing called galvanism, and uh, this was named after an Italian physician named Luigi Galvani, who experimented on frogs, and he discovered that uh, he could make frog legs twitch by uh, passing electric currents through them. And so... Th- the idea was that, well, maybe we could regenerate the dead through the, this kind of electrocution. And uh, there was one really bizarre experiment that uh, was conducted in 1803 on uh, a man who was uh, hanged for murder. And it was not uncommon for um, murder victims and the newly dead to be carted off to medical labs for all kinds of experience, uh, experiments back in uh, the 19th century. But this one was particularly bizarre because he was, uh, his body, rather, uh, was e- electrocuted in various uh, um, degrees, and it actually started to move. And... Um, the newspaper, one newspaper account said that uh, the witnesses actually thought for a, a few minutes that the dead body was going to come to life. Uh, the hand raised up, uh, and it even clenched into a fist, and um, his legs twitched, uh, and it must have been very spooky to watch this. I almost, uh, you know, it's a horror film kind of setting. And so we see that uh, playing out in Frankenstein, where uh, Victor Frankenstein takes, um, he, he actually assembles pieces of corpses and stitches them together, and then uh, sends huge amounts of electricity through uh, the assembled body to animate it into uh, what becomes the unnamed monster. It is fascinating. Yes, I was particularly taken uh, when they when they described how this uh, condemned man, this hanged man, his his one eye opened, 
when uh, his corpse uh, on the slab and they administered electrical volts uh, to his body, his one eye opened. Um, and so uh, obviously Mary Shelley was, uh, you know, was very inspired by this. And um, I mean, what, what else inspired her? Do we know? Uh, we do. In fact, a dream inspired her. And uh, the famous story about um, they were, uh, she and, and her, I think he was um, her fiancé at the time, uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley. Um, and uh, they were visiting with uh, Lord Byron and his physician, John Polidori, in a castle in Switzerland. And uh, it was the proverbial dark and stormy night, and Lord Byron suggested that they, um, they all concoct uh, creepy stories to entertain each other. And Frankenstein started that way. That was the genesis of the writing of Frankenstein. Um, Mary Shelley recorded a nightmare that she had uh, that night in which she saw the monster that she eventually wrote about. And she said he was so real to her, it was, it was like not a dream. And it terrified her. Uh, so she had uh, a number of very good sources of funneling into Frankenstein, um, which still is a creepy story today, even though it has a, a lot of strange holes in it. There are a lot of things that Mary Shelley doesn't explain very well in terms of how the action advances. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the idea of man creating life, of course, is the big theme of the novel. Right, right. And the idea, I mean, she was almost predicting the transhumanist movement in some ways, don't you think? Uh, well, yes. In fact, uh, Frankenstein is probably one of the outstanding visionary novels of its day. And uh, later on in the 19th century, Dracula, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, would outshadow uh, her, you know, just kind of in terms of uh, the popularity, the monster popularity that, um, that it acquired. But... Um, Shelley's novel is, is still um, an amazing piece of visionary fiction. And we see uh, some of these themes playing out today through artificial intelligence, for example. And now we have bionic yes. people with body parts replaced. And uh, we're doing DNA experimentation and cloning and discussion of uh, creating hybrids and... Uh, so we are literally now attempting to play God the same way that Victor Frankenstein did uh, in his crude way uh, in Shelley's novel. 200 years ago, my word, what a remarkable woman. Uh, the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, it's seen better days. It's not, it's in, I guess you would call it the dodgy end of town now in Los Angeles. But uh, tell me about the Cecil Hotel. Have you been? I have not, and I'm putting it on my must-do list because the things that have happened there make it an ideal setting for uh, ghost hunting, ghost investigation. Um, sadly, a lot of tragedy there, and um, it was built right before the Depression. Uh, it was very expensive. At the time, it cost $1 million, which was a tremendous amount of money. It would be about $13 million today. And uh, shortly after it was built, uh, the Depression happened, and it, it just started to slide and go into a decline. 
Um, there were suicides in the hotel. So many people in the Depression committed suicide from office buildings, hotels, and their homes. Uh, and um, suicides where uh, people overdosed or they threw themselves out of windows. Um, there was one really bizarre story um, about a naked woman who was found floating uh, in water tanks on the roof. And that was fairly recent. That was a, a, um, a young woman from British Columbia it, it was, who disappeared uh, there. Yeah. Yes, this hotel has had um, a string of, of tragedies and bizarre deaths since it opened. And what I found so eerie about the account of that was that um, there's surveillance footage of her in an elevator in the hotel, and she's acting like she's uh, trying to escape from something or somebody. And uh, even uh, there's a, a little bit where she gets out of the elevator and it looks like she's talking to someone in a very animated way, although they're not on camera. Uh, and we can only speculate what that poor woman went through uh, to, to wind up dead then on, on the roof of the hotel. These uh, serial killers, uh, Richard Ramirez, who um, killed... Um, uh, 30-some people, 38 people uh, in the 1980s in California <laughs> used the Cecil Hotel as his headquarters. Oh, uh, my. And all of these, these kinds of violent tragedies um, make for horrific hauntings. And uh, it would not surprise me uh, if a lot of the rooms at the hotel were haunted, uh, the people stay there might experience uh, residual ghosts, and perhaps even unpleasant phenomena that are still lingering in psychic space from all of this. Well, if you go there, please don't stay there alone. Make sure you've got uh, uh, three, four, five, six other people. Well, if I, if I do go there, it would be for an all-night vigil where I would be awake the whole night, and yes, I would <laughs> take somebody with me. All right, Rosemary, thank you so much. Uh, what's the next book? The next book, which will be out in January, is another Fate anthology, and it's called Slips in Time and Space. And it involves uh, spontaneous time displacements, uh, teleportation, uh, time travel, the Bermuda Triangle, Devil Sea, and the Philadelphia Experiment. Ah, oh, my favorite subject, time slips, time distortions. All right, can't wait to have you on to talk about that one. Uh, another fate anthology. Rosemary, always a pleasure. Visionaryliving.com, the website. Thank you again. And thank you, Richard. All right, all the best. Talk next month. Next hour, psychic medium, Siobhan Smith. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi your parents' well-appointed rec room, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods, 
A big how-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zuma Radio, 740 megahertz on the amplitude modulation band and 96.7 on the frequency modulation band here in Toronto. Hi to uh, you there and you and you checking us out on the uh, Conspiracy Show app. And the Zuma Radio app, both free downloads. Of course, hello to everyone uh, listening down the line on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And of course, um, hi to all of you listening and watching via the live YouTube stream. And finally, those of you in the live YouTube chat who join us every week without fail. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid you the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Psychic medium Siobhan Smith is standing by to join us for the hour to tell us about her remarkable life and her work. Uh, Before that, uh, just a reminder to check out my podcasts, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. And if you like rock and roll and the paranormal, rock and roll and true crime, the, the uh, Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. New episodes drop every Wednesday, sometimes Thursday, <laughs> depending on my schedule, but usually Wednesday or Thursday. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, and uh, you can just Google that. It's available just about everywhere you get your fine podcasts. It's also available on Spotify and the Westwood One uh, podcast app. And uh, both of those, Conspiracy Unlimited, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, Wednesdays, you can also access those uh, through my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. If you haven't already, get on up to the website, check it out. We've given it a a new coat of paint. It's far more mobile-friendly, and we've really streamlined it, and I think it's much easier to navigate it as well. I also want to mention that a good friend of the program, George Freund, Uh, We'll be hosting a very special edition of the Power Hour Nation Thursday, November the 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 3 p.m. Central. And that will be live from the 6th annual JFK Assassination Conference, which is happening in Dallas, of course. The, uh, The JFK Assassination Conference in Dallas, November 15th to the 18th. And uh, George has been guest hosting a lot on the Power Hour Nation as of late and doing a remarkable job. All right. Siobhan Smith has communicated with spirit since childhood. Growing up in an old Victorian haunted house in the UK, Siobhan, her mom, and her sister, who had child-to-adult leukemia in the early 80s, all communicated with spirit as well as their grandmother. Siobhan was raised with Irish Catholic parents and understands the fears that surround communication. However, it took her to losing her sister in 2009 to finally embrace her abilities. Siobhan understands that we're all spirit in a human body and we can all communicate with spirit, she says. It's just as her sisters would all her sister would always say, Siobhan is an open book. So This is why it comes naturally to her. It took her sister coming to her persistently from spirit, telling her to get on with the work she came back to do, to actually embrace her work as a medium. Siobhan Smith, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm really good, Richard. How are you? How are you? Bless your heart. Lovely to speak with you again. (laughs) Terrific. Are you in the UK now or are uh, are you stateside? 
No, no, I'm certainly in the UK. I was up at three o'clock this morning for you already. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, God bless you for that. So oh, tell me about your, your, your early life growing up in this Victorian house, uh, Irish Catholic parents. Uh, now, your, your mother and your grandmother both had um, this gift, this ability to see spirit. When did you first, first realize you also had this gift? Well, it was when I was two years old, and my granddad, it was in 1979, and he came to me, and um, he got run over that day. And um, so he had come to me, and my mum sees my grandmother and my sister, who's in spirit. She also was very um, aware of spirit as well. And um, I was talking away to him, and mum came back into the kitchen, and because she sees as well, she could see I was chatting away and then I was talking about the man. Obviously, mum can see. And then we found out um, that day that he had got run over in Ireland, bless him. So that was my first encounter. But growing up in that haunted home, it was the man in that house that really wanted us out. The man that obviously lived there previously that had passed away and was obviously creating so much havoc in that home. Um but we had so many things going on with him and then also as well our loved ones that would pass away that would do come to see us like Uncle Jimmy, uh, Mum's Uncle Jimmy and the day he was due to uh, come to see us, he passed away and we thought Dad would come home and we heard them walk up the steps, each step in that Victorian house. We heard it, me, Mum and Colette, my sister, who was alive at the time, and we walked out and um, it was Uncle Jimmy walking up the stairs saying goodbye because he had passed over. Um, so basically growing up in that home, yeah, it was really um, very, very strange, very overwhelming. Um, and obviously with my sister, she had the child to about leukemia. But she was very much an older soul. I'm an older soul, but she was a much older soul than me. And she thrived on it. She was sitting in the dark and wanted to watch horror movies. And I was, we were, she was a child, I was a child, and she was five years older than me. And I always remember her wanting to sit in the dark because she loved it all. But I know with the man creating all these issues for us, it was, I remember like specifically one time, it was four o'clock around 4 a.m. And that man that wanted us out of that house, that spirit, he came and he came along the bedroom wall and the landing was on the other side. So it wasn't a neighbor or anything like that. And it was specifically on our warming collet bed, and we were in the middle room, and just literally these bangs on the wall, so loud. Uh, it was so frightening for my father; he wouldn't even get out of the bed, and my mum was saying to get out of the bed, um, you know. And then, like my sister, when she was wanting to be ill, bless her, because she obviously had the chemo and all the other things that go with with cancer, she. Um, was trying to get out of the room one night when the door was open really freely. You know, it wouldn't be an issue um, with the door. There was no, it wasn't tight or anything, and it would always open freely. And this particular night, um, wanting to vomit, wanting to get out, the door just wouldn't open. Dad then tried to kick the door in, just wouldn't wouldn't budge. And I mean, this was a door that would never stick. This door was a door that would open and shut really freely. And we kicked the door and everything. And then it ended up, the door just flew open on its own when everyone was away from it. So 
he was angry, that man. He really wanted us out. And I know a lot of people experience this, Richard, don't they? You know. Sure, with, sure. Uh, now, you know. How, long we, how long did you live in this particular house? <laughs> well, mum and dad were in the house, so they would have got the house around 1972. Um, we didn't leave until 1991. So we did stick around. We did try. Um, but my mum, my mum is like a clean freak OCD. I wish I was like, oh, I'm not. I'm an artist <laughs> as well as a medium. <laughs> so it's, it's never going to happen with me. Hey ho. Um, but yeah, so it was like one o'clock. My mum loved cleaning. She was like, so wanting the house to be perfect. That like cleaning at one o'clock in the morning wouldn't be anything to her. And she was looking up. We could see the dead man at the top of the stairs. And her thoughts were, how am I going to get past you? normal people would run out the door. She was just, like, contemplating how she was going to walk past him. So right, it right. Was, how am I going to vacuum those stairs? Why can't you wipe your feet oh before you yeah. come in my house? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was just, like, I, but, you know, that was just, that was just growing up, you know. That was, that was my world. And, you know, um, with my sister being so ill, but she was so connected to spirit as well. And then my grand, obviously, raised, with being raised Catholic as well, um, you know, as a teenager, I used to pray for three hours a day. So it was, you know, it was um, it was interesting. And I suppose with that as well, that probably helped me to still my mind, I suppose. I don't know, because when you are praying, it's more talking and then the meditation, you know, is um, answering or whatever way you want to communicate. But, but obviously we're going to talk right. about that tonight because we can all do this. You know, this is something I need to put across as well, because we are all spirit and human body. Um, right, but I'm fascinated uh, that, that, that your family would stick it out in this house for 20 years. Uh, and and your your sister, as you say, reveled in it. She she loved it, but your father, obviously not so much. He must have had the patience of Job. <laughs> yeah, my dad, no, he was just like, when that was all going on, and then my mum my mom loved it too. You know, my mum was always reading Doris Stokes books. Um, you know, she had, um, she was very open. Well, she's always still alive. She's very, very open to spirit as well. Um, and was it known in, I, the, in the neighborhood that your house was haunted? Did, were your fellow classmates aware of what was going on or did you keep it quiet? Well, I just thought it was normal. <laughs> I just thought, well, do I, did I think it was normal? I knew we were weird and different and strange. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to lie to you, I was bullied severely at school. I suppose when you are different, um, but yeah, I mean, all this that was going on, it's like the cellar that was downstairs, we'd, we'd walk past it and you'd hear the, the women down there having these conversations as well. So, you know, it was obviously, I mean, this house was a Victorian house that was built years ago. So, but that man, it was almost like, you know, he just—he was so angry, just wanting us out and doing all these different things, and you know, pacing down the stairs, walking along the landing, banging on there, right. and then obviously not and Colette out when he wanted to vomit. But I remember going into the back bedroom when my brothers were born, and they're 11 years younger than me, and um, that just obviously threw him. I mean, we lived in that house for so long, but when they were born, they were born in '88, and. Um, we moved into that bedroom then, which always looked 
weird the back bedroom it was almost like like on horror movies where you'd see like this vacant room that wouldn't be touched Siobhan, i got to jump in here. Pardon the interruption. We're going to take a a break. We'll come back and continue to talk about your remarkable uh, upbringing in his haunted Victorian house. Siobhan Smith, psychic medium, telling us how we can all speak to spirit. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Hey, welcome back. Just want to uh, shout out quickly to uh, those who join us in the live chat every week. Nicholas, and you betcha, YY, Gordo, sorry, Weiwei, (laughs) Gordo, Thinker. Uh, Let's see, who else is in there tonight? Well, um, I think Baji is still with us. And uh, there are a bunch of others. But anyway, thank you to all uh, all of you for joining us every week in the uh, the YouTube live stream, the live chat, rather. And if you haven't already, uh, get on up to the YouTube channel, the Conspiracy Show YouTube channel, and hit that subscribe button. All right, Siobhan Smith stays with us. We're talking about her remarkable uh, upbringing uh, in this haunted Victorian home. Now, before the break, I was asking you, Siobhan, whether other kids in the neighborhood – uh, knew about your house, knew that it was haunted. Uh, did you talk about this with other kids, or did you just stay silent about it? Mainly I stayed silent, if I'm honest, because um, I just assumed that everybody was going through this as a child, um, mm. and I just felt it was all really normal. But I did get bullied, because obviously I was a bit different and strange. Coming from that sort of environment, you are so aware of, people that you can't see but I did think it was normal as only as I was getting a little bit older that I sort of knew that it wasn't normal obviously um, but I think this is what a lot of people can resonate with as well and this is why it's important to understand how we are all spirit and human body. Children do talk about you know seeing and these little um, people their friends that people can't see and really all it is is because they've come from the spirit world and the elderly are going back to the spirit world that's why you'll find that young children talk about seeing people that you can't see and the elderly will talk about people that you can't see because it's it's also about a vibration and it's about a higher vibration and it doesn't mean just because I can communicate with spirit that I'm high vibrating and you're low vibrating. I don't mean it like that. I just mean it like it's almost been where I'm quite hyperactive, I'm quite hyper person. So it's almost like raising that vibration and anybody can do it. Because I think what happens is you just get so caught up in the day-to-day and that is really the only reason is what stops people. Because you know with children, you know how they go off into their imagination and into their little world? And they yes. just cut off very easily. And people be saying, stop daydreaming, get back to this world, or telling them off. But because of the way that they are naturally... And that's why, as elderly people, you'll probably notice that they drift off and people will say it's because they've got dementia, it's because of this, it's because of that. I mean, there's so much to talk about because, again, it's about as well dipping in and out. Like, I think I spoke to you before where you don't have to die. You come out of your body. Um, I come out quite often. It's, you can do astral travel, astral projection. 
Um, my sister came to me two days before she actually died. She was floating on the ceiling. I seen her in a hospital gown, and I was at home, and she was lying in, in the hospital bed in intensive care. Um, I've come out of my body numerous times, and I've been seen across the other side of the world where this child, who I'm very, you know, is a very good friend, and um, his mother is, is past. You see his dead mother is solid. And that night I was there, and I'd seen loads of stuff going on. He had also seen me next to his dead mother, and he was able to tell me the colour of the nightwear. His dad told me he knew the colour of the nightwear that I was wearing, which was a brown and red colour. Um, so it's all very strange. Um, but going back to that bedroom as well that we were in, that man wanted us out. You know, he really he wanted us so much out that every time me and my sister went to sleep, this is where my sister couldn't deal with it because there would be these ne- these noises that didn't sound of this world. So it was like a wailing. I mean, obviously I know where mum and dad from Ireland and gone about the banshee and things like that, but there was these noises that were not of earth noises. And it would always stop every time mum and dad would come to the back bedroom and then they'd go away back to it along the landing. It was a big house and it'd start again. And my sister at that point, <laughs> even that freaked her out. She wasn't scared of anything. She was scared of mice when she was alive. She was never scared of the dead, ever. Um, but that freaked her out and that is why we ended up sleeping downstairs and that was a big reason for us in the end leaving because it was Are, just, were all the were all the was all the paranormal activity in this house were they all spirits or were some of them perhaps demonic um sometimes we do wonder if it was demonic um i do feel though as i've got older I feel it was more just that man. It was his house and him standing at the top, staring down right. at my mum at that hour, looking at her. My mum just looked back at him and didn't bat an eyelid. She wasn't bothered. She just wanted to clean. But I think that was his way of throwing his authority, like, look, I'm here. This is my house. And I just think he didn't accept the fact that we were in there. And I think it right. really pushed him over the edge when we did up that back bedroom because Colette was older than me and she wanted it all done how she wanted, but he wasn't having any of that. You know, that's why when we moved in, it was like, oh, this is all nice, this is all done up, but no, not for him. That is when that was, it got worse. So. But, when you, was it, was it your frustration over this particular entity that, that really drove you to want to learn to communicate with him so that you could find out what he wanted or perhaps how you could maybe even help him? Well, no, to be honest, we I grew up with them, with spirit. Um, we always had um, spirit coming to us. We always knew when obviously people were passing away, I'd come and visit. Um, I will be honest, I didn't like spirit. Years ago, it freaked me out. I was frightened. My mum was open to it, my sister, my gran, obviously. Um, but for me, I was scared to death of it. I'm not going to lie to you. But for me, it really came about more so when my sister passed because um, that's when I embraced it. Because used, I used to be her carer. She used to fall on the floor and have many strokes and paralysis because of how they treated leukemia back in the early 80s. Not their fault. It's just how it was dealt with. And right. um, she kept coming to me on the toilet when she died. And she was sat on the loo and she, because I used to help on the toilet. And she'd be like, you've got to get on with this. You've got to help people. And I just said, no, I don't want to, because I really was freaked out by it. And I said, why would I want to be doing it? And I was like, I don't even want to be talking to you right now, because it's freaking me out. 
And she kept coming back because I knew as a child as well that she was my mum in my past life because I always used to talk about that. And I knew that there was this bigger connection, obviously, between us. But there was something in me that drove me as well. My body, there was obviously my higher self, obviously understanding it now as, as time has gone on, was pushing me to go and sit in these circles. And I was going to London. I was dragging mum to come with me to London to go and sit with Gordon Smith and TJ Higgs. She used to work with Colin Fry, who's now passed away. And I would take her to these groups, and me and Mum would be there, and she was bringing through uh, TJ Higgs's grandfather. And my mum, you know, she was actually doing Transfiguration. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's where Mum's face was zoning out, and I know I could see the spirit of Mum's face uh, taking over Mum's face. I could feel that going on. And I was doing my communication. And that's when TJ Higgs was saying, oh, you know, got John Edward here. The way I was carrying on, check, um, sort of referring to me, that, the style, the way I was working. Um, but, yeah, so it was it was more sort of pushing me. My body was saying, go. And then, like, my sister was coming and get, get on with it. And then I was bringing all these people back, these spirits, and they were in my room. And I was like, my goodness, I don't want to deal with this. And then I'd be throwing the dudes out of my head. So it was all kind of weird because it was conflicting. It was, And then, because I was raised Catholic... I used to pray for, as a teen for three hours a day. So it was like, then I started thinking, my goodness, what if I am actually communicating with demons here? And you will go through these sort of scenarios in your head, and that's why it's important to let people know that you're not. And um, it's just, obviously, I'll have to embrace it and understand it and not be afraid of it. But you're always in control. You're always in control. Like, I'm in control. Like, you're in control. We're in control of this conversation now. You're in control of spirit because you do tell them what you will and won't allow. And it is about explaining boundaries. That's important as well. And, you know, it's about going back to this thing of everybody can do this. We are all spirit and human body. You know, I bring through everybody in spirit, whether they're Catholic, Hindu, Muslim, everybody. You know, so everybody in the spirit world, I respect all religions as well, which is really great. It gets you through and it's space, and that's fantastic. Um, but again... It is about um, knowing that they are just there. They're with us all the time. Obviously, they leave us in our private time. That would be just too weird. But it is about, as well, what we'll talk about tonight, is about keeping it simple and how I communicate. Because a lot of people think you have to go and do these courses and meditate and stand on your head and drink water and chant on. You don't. You know, you just have to... You know, like how we pick up the phone and we talk to each other? It really is that simple. And it really is. And this is what people need to start understanding that you don't have to. I mean, obviously, yes, if you want to come to me for reading, that's fantastic. But in that reading, I help everybody know that they can do this themselves. I teach everybody, you know, the signs, because with spirit as well, this is something we can talk about, but how they come to us, you know, this, this is also, it's, it's like another language. But it's just understanding. Well, when, it when, when spirits come to you to speak to you, are they. Are some of them not aware that they're gone? Are they earthbound? Are they looking? I mean, is it true that you you have to tell them to walk towards the light? Or is that just a a stereotype? I do understand that um, I've been communicating with spirits since 1979 now. And I know that sometimes when people come out, you know, in different ways, they've had an accident or murdered or whatever way they've passed, they will come out of that body and they will go through it. I've done it in meetings where they've taught me through their passing. And they come out and they're looking at their body, and they are wondering what's going on. Obviously, they're shocked um, because they realise 
my goodness, I'm still alive, I'm solid. And they're looking at their hands and looking at their body and they're still in one piece. You know, like people can have a car accident and be completely in a bad way. They'll come out of that body totally, um, exactly, the, you know, perfect, the perfect self that they were before they went into that trauma. Does that make sense? Yes. But sometimes do they uh, appear to you do they appear to you as they they were in death? So, for example, if somewhat grisly, but let's say, for example, uh, they were the victim of um, some sort of a heinous crime, a violent yeah. crime. Would could they appear yeah. to you showing the signs of that crime, that the trauma? Yeah. Absolutely, they do it purely because they want to show me so that I can. Because I deal with so many different people with murders, suicides. Um, you know, different things like that, and people want answers, they want to know, and then I be, I'm able to walk them through. And sometimes people want to know more detail, so they will show it to me. Or they talk to me. I mean, I with spirit, I see them, I hear them. I mean, a lot of it now I tune in beforehand with my reading, half an hour beforehand, every reading, and I write, and they sit next to me, and they just talk to me. So I just, I just like literally am writing it down. I'm not having to understand it as much anymore like I was years ago, looking at visions and things like that. But they will impress that onto me. You know, if they want to show me that they, you know, had a bad character and they, you know, smashed up their face and it was off the steering wheel, say, and they wanted to point out different things, it depends through each each spirit, each reading. Sometimes spirits don't even want to talk about how they passed because, you know, they, they, don't, they, they don't want to go on about it. So, yes, they can show me. But they are definitely not like that now. When they come out of that body, they, they, that is not how they look. How they were in that tormented state, they are perfect, they are whole, they are in the light. They're always met by their loved ones as well. And people can turn around and say, but we didn't have any loved ones. Well, it's about going back to past lives. Like I bring through people, you know, as far back as the 1800s, you know, it's like when I went to Jury Lane Theatre in London, I had this man walk down the aisle called Pablo Frank, and I was asking what his name was, and he told me his name was Pablo. Went around and Googled it, and he was. He was a British circus owner. He was born in 1810, and he died on the 4th of May, 1871. So the thing is, we all have loved ones, regardless of who you remember in your little circle. So if you have a small family here and they're gone or whatever, or people are not dead and you feel like they were the first to go, you're going to have all of your ancestors that will come through. Every reading I've done, I've been doing them for years, are always met by their loved ones. And also, it's also part of a soul family as well, not always blood-related. You know, we come to friends, family, and people that are adopted, things like that. You know, you don't have to be blood-related because we're all part of a soul family. And it's almost like this, these past lives that we go through, we come back again with that whole soul family connection group whether of friends of family you know it's like when you say i really feel like i know you you meet people and you feel that instant connection do you know what i mean yes yes sure that's because you have you've known them on a past life level and likewise the people that you don't like because <laughs> we all have them too um you know there's obviously maybe a grievance, maybe something from a past life. You're coming back together on this level, on this earth plane, to try and resolve it. Because really, ultimately, it is about coming back here 
before we come into the body, we make these choices of what we want to go through, whether that be learning tolerance, forgiveness, you know, resolving issues. So this is why as well, a lot of the time, it's always good to try and resolve things here because in spirit, they're there. You know, I have so many people come through in spirit wanting to resolve, wanting forgiveness. Um, so it's always good to try and sort things out here. Obviously, you will get to do it on, in the spirit world, but if you can resolve it here, um, then that's good. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. It does. Siobhan, you stay where you are. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. And uh, I want to ask you, we'll do this when we come back, but I want to ask you whether... Ghosts who have been murder victims have ever called upon you to try and solve the crime, to solve their murder. We'll come back and do just that. Siobhan Smith, psychic medium, is with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Oh, welcome back. Siobhan Smith is with us, Psychic Medium. How do people get a hold of you, Siobhan, if they want to do a, if they want a reading? So you can get a hold of me on Facebook. So I'm on Facebook, so just um, key me in and I'll go down as the name of Siobhan Smith. That's S-I-O-B-H-A-N, Smith. And my profile picture is a white box with the word medium in black in capital letters. Or you can also email me at Siobhan, which is S-I-O-B-H-A-N underscore Smith at btinternet.com or I'm also on the helpingparentsheal.org website, which is to do with Mark Island. Um, wonderful people, very big, great team of helping and has gone through his own loss um, with his own child and I'm also a certified medium on there as well. All right. Now, I asked you before the break, has a, has, a, has a ghost or a spirit ever come to you who was murdered trying to tell you who their murderer was? Yes, I did have that on numerous occasions. Obviously, it's a bit difficult to go into too many details on, on here live. But, for example, um, I had it where um, a chap was told... Um, the mother was told that he had actually passed the suicide and I was explaining to the mother I said no, I said um, he's explained to me he was murdered and he was shot and I said you need to go back and I said you need to get fingerprints on that gun because I said they're not your sons and it was actually to do with um, law enforcement and I have every respect for law enforcement and all um, everybody that works in the government but it was actually them that had actually done this. Um, and I said, you need to go back. And I said, you need to get the fingerprints on the gun because I said, if he would had have shot himself, his fingerprints would be on that gun. And they went back and she was reopening it because the fingerprints on the gun are not actually her son's. So how could he have shot himself? Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So did um, they reopened the case? 
yes, they they were able to, um, they had to go back and look because she was able to come back to me and let me know that the fingerprints on that gun that was meant to have shot her son um, right. didn't. Also, I was working as well with somebody else and they were due to testify for the, F, um, for the FBI. Yes. And um, this lady, it was to do with the pardoning of Trump. It was to do with the land. It was, it was a nurse, this lady. She was um, very much an activist, very much standing up for people. And she had told me she got dragged out to the woods and she got shot in the head. And I went through the whole detail with this, with the sitter, and um, was able to tell them, obviously, that she was murdered. And um, they had obviously had this feeling as well themselves because she was due to actually stand trial for a, a murder that she had witnessed by the FBI. It was meant to happen a week later. And I was able to go through the full details of how they were basically saying that she had gone and, and passed suicide. And I, she was stood in my room screaming, saying, they murdered me, they murdered me. And I was able to go through the full details of how she died, how she was dragged out to the woods, how she was shot in the head. So how would I know all that detail? Does that make sense? Yes. But when you get new information like this, obviously you can't go to the police and say, well, they'll ask you, how do you know this? You can't tell them a ghost told me. What, how do you handle that? Well, this is where, obviously, I've been dealing with people over the years and I've been explaining to them and going through it with readings and I do help people with murders. I also had a child come to me that was two years old and was explaining to me who had killed them, gave me the name and the details on the hand of the person as well. Um, so they will give me specific information, but it's almost like what I then do is I try to then help that person that I'm working with and then I try to give them details and information that they can go back and reopen cases and explain to them, look, like with the gun situation where the fingerprints weren't on the gun. So it's like, well, how are you going to answer that then? And then because these things get overlooked. The thing is, there's good people and there's bad people in all walks of life. Does that make sense? Right, but in other, but I guess what I'm asking is, you, you don't go to the police and tell the police, well, I have information and it came to me from the ghost of the deceased, do you? You can't do that, but what you no. can do is go back like that situation as a scenario with that lady where I explained to her about her boy and I said he didn't commit, he didn't pass the suicide, he, he was obviously murdered and I was able to walk it through and I was able to go through everything on the autopsy as well to do with the exact pinpointing on the head and the other issues to do with his arm. I went through all of that and she was able to then validate it afterwards because she went back and got the, the autopsy report and she was able to then validate the information that I talked her through so she knew I was talking to her son. And that's when she was able to then go back on that scenario and say, well, I've got my right, I want to know about the fingerprints on the gun. So it's things like that and it's like, it's almost like where you can give them little bits of information where they can then go back and say, well, actually, right. this isn't telling right. up. The, the, what you're saying, you know, it's like you're going back, okay, so let's find out about these fingerprints on that gun then. So if it isn't my son's, which now it isn't, so then what's going on? Does that make sense? It does, yes. Now, your, uh, your, your late sister, I, I mean, at a certain point, I would assume uh, that 
you know, she will move on, right? She, she'll move on or some believe that she would reincarnate. So will she at that point then stop coming to you in spirit? She's not going to get reincarnated, <laughs> not yet. She's going to be there, because if she's not there when I leave, then she's in massive trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, uh, I totally believe in reincarnation. Obviously, I know that she was my mum in my past life, but what I do know and what I understand with spirit, from what I learn, is that it is, it, it's not like it is here. You know how time exists and things like that. So it will be more of, you know, like how our sort of ancestors are far, far, far back that we don't remember the great, great, great grandfathers and things like that. That's where the reincarnation happens. But the immediate sort of family, like my sister, no, she's not. She, to be honest, I know she's not coming back. I know it's her last incarnation. I know that anyway. But for other people, um, it would be a case of they will wait until the other family members. So they will be waiting for you. Okay. Ah, fascinating. All right, Siobhan, we got to take another break. When we come back, you can go into some some more detail, perhaps, uh, in, in instructing people how they can communicate with spirit. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Siobhan Smith, my guest, psychic medium, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, we are back with Siobhan Smith, psychic medium. Let me spell that name. Uh, uh, It's... It's a beautiful name, Siobhan. That's a, is that a Celtic name? It is. It's Irish. Yep, mum and dad um, are Irish, so it, it certainly is. <laughs> so that's S-I-O-B-H-A-N, Siobhan Smith, S-M-I-T-H. And uh, I, I spelled that out because I, I want people to to, uh, to be able to reach out to you. Um, so you're on Facebook. Give us the, um, the, the contact information again, Siobhan. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, so you just search my name, so it would be Siobhan Smith, S-I-O-B-H-A-N, and my profile picture is a white box, and it has the word medium in that white box, in black letters, it's black capital letters, and it just says medium across the middle of the white box. All right, now, um, we were talking about... uh, you know, earthbound spirits and and um, how they hang around, and you say they don't reincarnate until they're joined by the rest of their family members, and so forth on the other side. Because you, I guess you all tend to reincarnate as a group. Is that the idea? This is what I understand. But there are right. occasions as well where people have had uh, miscarriage, stillborn, abortion, things like that. So spirit will choose to stay on the other side and then meet their loved ones. Because I bring through so many children that passed um um just stillborn or miscarriage or went back with um regards to abortion things like that so they, they're still there waiting for us i bring through so many of them as well bless them um but yes yeah, sometimes they will reincarnate so in that instance it may be that they choose to come for a short period go back and they'll come back again but because you know when you have um it's almost like 
every spirit is different, but definitely on that instant, um, it would be more that they would come and reincarnate. But again, it's a choice. We have these choices. It's what we want to do as spirit. Like before we come into the body, we, we, we choose our parents. It's all about soul contracts. Obviously, I know these are all different things, but um, it's about um, wanting to, what do we want to achieve? What do we want to learn? What do we want to put in this soul life? And what we want to, it's like a school of life, really. It's like we're constantly learning. Like I'm still learning with spirit. I learn new things every day. But you, you, you maintain that you were born with this this ability, correct? Uh, definitely, I was very aware because, like I say, I was talking to my granddad when I was two, and mum came in and seen me chatting to him, and he'd gotten over that day. So, right. But we're all so, born. We're all born. We're, we're all born with it, Richard. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. That's all right. We all. No, that's all right. We're all so then, human God. you're talking to someone who is probably the least intuitive person on the planet. Uh, <laughs> So how do you, I mean, I think I've had a couple of what could be paranormal experiences, not a hundred percent sure, but I mean, I don't, I don't see, I don't see spirits on a regular basis. I certainly don't communicate with them. How, how does one begin to develop that ability? Walk us through the, the steps if you could. I'll keep it simple because for this lady who I helped, um, and with one of my clients, um, she was an atheist, believed in nothing, and now she's doing her own reading. So, yes, we, yes, you can. And I won't listen to no, you can't, because yes, you can. But literally keeping it simple. So my way, and I, I, I explain this to everybody that I work with, I call on a higher power. For me, it's Archangel Michael. Whoever you choose to resonate with is your higher power, the universe, whatever it is you want to talk to, or whoever you want to call on as a higher power protection. I call on Archangel Michael to oversee me, protect me, my family, and my home. And then I call on Archangel Michael to protect the person that I'm reading. Obviously, you always need to make permission to read a person because that's really important. You can't just do that and read anybody. It's, it's not right. Then I call on Archangel Gabriel to help me on my messages to the loud and clear in love and light only. And for the highest good of my soul and for the highest good of the person I'm reading, their soul. And then I call on my loved ones in spirit. And then I call on their loved ones in spirit. And literally the best way to practice it yourself, because we can all do this, is to ask a family or a friend member and say to them, look, I really want to have a go with this. Obviously you're going to be embarrassed. You're not going to seem like you're an idiot. So the way I would say to you is, do it not with them. Do it away from them and tune in and get a book. Write it down in a book. So what do you start sensing? What do you feel? You might actually stood at the, the sink washing up and you're bored and your mind switches off and you could feel somebody coming in behind you and you say live with a man and two women and you know it's one of the women that come in. And you turn around and it is them. And that's your validation because they're obviously solid and they live with you. It's a feeling, it's a sense, it's a knowing. So who do you feel? Do they feel male? Do they feel male? You then might start seeing them. Some people, Lots of people are very visual, you know, and then people can obviously hear. So what do you hear? Spirit talk in your head. They talk outside of your head. They can show you visions. So what 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 you being shown? What did you hear? Did you just hear the name Jack in your head as a thought? Did you hear the number fifty eight? Well, write it down then. What are you smelling? What 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 smells you start smelling? And um, you could then like try to explain like maybe to do with flowers, or maybe to do with smoking or things like that. So writing that down as well. Does this smell associate with that person? And it's also about seeing. So they might may having visions coming up on the wall so what are you seeing 
on there written or what do you see as a picture? Is it an apple? Is it, you know, um, you might end up seeing like a nun and you can say, well, was Jack connected to a nun? And then, and then you hear the name Mary and they're like, okay, so that was Mary and that was, and she was a nun and yeah, that was the, the sister. So it's like, it is like another language because the thing is you are literally looking and you're being shown images that can be shown in your mind. So you close your eyes and see it that way. Some people see outside. I see in my mind and I see outside spirit come to me both ways. Um, but it's also a knowing. It's a knowing. It's that gut feeling, that instinct, that knowing. And we all have that. It's just the problem is we're so caught up in the day to day that we don't rely on that instinct or that gut feeling or that knowing anymore because we're so bombarded. But it really is just keeping it simple, writing it down, write it all down, and then relate it back to that person. Once you've written it down, then speak to that friend or that family member and say, look, does any of this make any sense? And you will really be surprised because I do teach people and help people do this for themselves, and they do, and it works. And then at the end, again, just asking, I came to Michael to take any energy away from you that doesn't belong with you or the home. Because otherwise I'd have thousands of spirits walking around my house every day. But again, just calling on that higher power and asking them to take it away. It really is important that people understand to keep it simple. You don't need to overcomplicate it. You don't need to be meditating for five hours a day to be able to speak one word to spirit. It's not normal and it's not not in this day and age. It's so caught up, busy, that people don't even have time to sleep a lot of the time. You know what I mean? So yes, really yes. Got but, but so some people, they, they communicate uh, or they receive messages because of uh, they, might, they might smell tobacco smoke or they might, they might see an image of a rose. Um, so they're, they're getting mental images, they're getting, they're getting messages through the various senses. But you have, I mean, you have full-on conversations with full-on apparitions, right? I mean, can everyone do yeah. that? Absolutely, 100%. We're all spirit in a human body. Why can't... The only reason why is I'm really open. Like my sister used to say, I was so open, the book never shut. I literally, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I am very open. But you've just got to keep it simple. You've just got to... It's like imagination. We're going back to imagination with children again. Why do they see? Because their mind wanders so easily. And it's about them allowing them to come in because it's not, it's also about, we all think, oh my God, it's freaky. It's, it's not normal. You know, these horror shows, you're freaked out by Hollywood because it's not like that. You're not going to have somebody sat on your bed as a spirit with their head whizzing around. It doesn't work like that. You know, they're just, they were here as humans and they're still the same, but they look better because they're free of them bodies. You know, every spirit that I encounter, they look they look beautiful. They're, you know, in, they're solid, they're glowing. They, look, they show themselves as how, you know, the best version of themselves because that's what they are. Um, but, you know, well, once, something people do. Right, right. Now, once you, develop, once you develop the... Once you develop the ability, do spirits on the other side know that you have the ability and so they seek you out because you're a method of communicating with this side of the world? 
it's like a light. They see a light. They see a light and they see that person wants to communicate because a lot of people don't want to because <laughs> they're scared. And I get that because I grew up and I hated it and I was freaked out. So I was, they were coming to me, but I was like, oh, do I even want to do this? But yeah, obviously I embrace it now. I love it and I love helping people, but I had to fight right. that. So- but, so yeah, now spirits are lined up on the other side to to, to communicate they through you. Sorry, I'm just saying. So once you have this ability, then and the spirits on the other side know that you have this ability. Are they literally lined yeah. up, almost like people waiting in line to use a telephone? They are. They're a thought away. Literally, they are a thought away. So they know they it, they can um, influence so much. You know, it's like. Everything is pre-planned as well. Obviously, you have free will. I have to point out there. But but if they want to communicate, like I've had spirit come to me, and I'm like, look, you know, you're going to have to go and influence the person that's living for them to contact me, and then they feel drawn to me because spirit will guide you, will influence. You know, like how you can meet people or things happen, and then you think, how did that happen? Is it a coincidence? No, it's synchronicity. Everything happens for a reason. So it's almost like they see, they know everything. Like my sister came to me on the Wednesday and said to me, two more days, granny will die on the Saturday at 3.15. Told my mum, told my partner, told my children, on the Saturday at 3.15, my granny took her last breath. We watched her take that last breath. So they know it all. This is why nothing is hidden in spirit. So you can lie, you can do whatever here, but everything is known over there. They are a thought away. I send out a thought, they come. Every reason I do, I just literally need to ask them to come. But to be honest, a lot of them come here anyway before I even ask them. Like I had this cat the other day. I was in the shower. It was a Siamese cat wandering in. It was a spirit cat because obviously I could see it solid. And I was like, you're going to have to back off and wait a minute. <laughs> I'm in the shower. <laughs> so, you know, but this is normal for me. I can be on the toilet and I'll have spirit come. And, they're like, and I'm like, okay, okay, just back off. Just hang on. They have um, no I'm boundaries. Gonna... They have no boundaries. They can have no boundaries as well sometimes because they're excited and that's okay. I have boundaries though because I used to be poked and prodded and woke up all the time at night and I said, you know what, enough's enough. I've got to survive. I am a mum. I've got two children and I need to do school runs and I can't be woke up every night, you know, and um, I don't mind. I mean, I, I allow them sometimes if they want in really to get a message across, then I do allow that, but I have strong boundaries with spirits. So always know that you're in control as well. Don't feel everybody, you know, oh, I'm going to open this portal and I'm going to be having all these spirits come in because that's not the case at all. You tell them. So you will explain to them clearly, I will not allow you to wake me up at night and I will not allow you to do it because I can cope with you in the day, but not at night time. So you can tell them that as well. So it's always important. Just have that conversation with them because they do hear you. Whether you talk inside your head or outside your head, they hear it either way. And likewise, you can hear them in your head as a thought or outside of your head or visually. But again, you'll get all of them abilities by just just working on it, just practicing. Because it's a sense. It's just a sense that everybody has forgotten. Not everybody, because there's a lot of people that can do this. But it's a lot. A lot of people have forgotten. Would that make sense? It does indeed. And Siobhan, it's been a delight speaking with you again. Siobhan Smith, Absolutely. and again available on uh, through Thank Facebook. You. And give us the email again quickly. Email is Siobhan, S-I-O-B-H-A-N underscore Smith at btinternet.com. And I'm also on helpingparentsheal.org. And I'm a certified medium on there. Siobhan, thank you again. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And thank everyone for listening as well. Thank you all so much.
All right. Good night. All the best. Good morning, I should say. All right. Don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home or at least up the stairs. Good night. <laughs>